0: Well, good morning again. Yeah, it's neat looking out and seeing you folks again. We always enjoy coming here. I was uh, sharing with Rich and uh, I think even Pat. I can still remember, I think this is our 22nd year in coming here, and I remember the first time uh, we came, it was just as uh, a request from Doug Dixon, and he says, you know, you have to go visit the church that I went to. And he insisted. So I said, okay, we'll go visit this church. <laughs> he went to. So one Sunday we drove up here and uh, introduced ourselves. And uh, who would have thought uh, things would turn out as they were. I had never had any intentions at all of ever speaking here. Um, but the Lord had other things in mind, evidently. But it's just so hard to believe uh, the number of years that have come and gone where we've had the privilege to fellowship with you, dear saints. And looking out, I see so many people I remember very well. We pray for a lot of you people. I don't think you realize how many different individuals we pray for uh, in this meeting, uh, almost on a daily basis. And it's good to see some new faces, uh, some I don't recognize, and trust that we'll get to know you folks as well. Nothing seems to really change. I love the song service, the breaking of bread this morning was a a great time around the Lord's table. And it's interesting, too. uh, I couldn't help but think, you know, because as you prepare for ministry from afar, uh, you really have to trust the Lord to lead and guide and direct you as to what you should minister on. Uh, I've ministered on a lot of things here over the last 20 years. And uh, when Rod got up and read, the little announcement, uh, I thought, oh, okay. And now I see why the Lord laid these six lessons that we're going to deal with on my heart. And, and I didn't make these up for you folks by any stretch of the imagination. Some of these lessons um, I probably put together 20, 25 years ago. And, you know, when you've been speaking for over 50-some years, you've covered an awful lot of territory And yet I have so much more to learn, you know, and so you keep studying the Word of God. But we're going to have six lessons that I think are going to deal with some of the concerns that are being expressed. This isn't the only place that these concerns are being expressed. Uh, Fortunately, it seems here you're willing at least to try to do something about those concerns, Unfortunately, in many uh, assemblies that I minister, they're concerned about these things, but they don't seem willing to do anything about those things. And, you know, we have to understand, um, we are living in the time that the Lord could really come back at any moment. And we've been talking about that for many years, and, you know, it's getting closer and closer, and I know, uh, as believers, we're looking forward to that, but we also realize that there's so many around us who don't know the Lord. Uh, We know that suffering is beginning to come to the household of God in America. Slowly but surely, you can see it creeping in. And you know, it seems uh, a lot of Christians do a lot of talking about what they would like to see take place and how they like to move forward in the things of the Lord, but they're not really willing to pick themselves up by the bootstraps and start Doing those things. And I couldn't help but think, you know, there's one person who is really hard at work today. Very hard at work. And his host. And that's Satan. Uh, He's not dragging his feet. I don't think he has feet, but I don't really know. (laughs) It's a phrase. But, you know, the world around us and the evil one are hard at work and you know what's happening is all their forces and attention is being drawn really towards Christ and the followers of Christ and if we're not careful if we're not willing to do what has to be done to move forward and become stronger in the things of the Lord uh, one of these days if I'm still around, I'll come here, I I won't be seeing as many of the faces that I used to see, and we won't see as many people out as I'm accustomed to seeing. So what we're going to be looking at are some things that uh, I have really kind of spoken on, because I went through the book of Philippians with you, I know I did that, and I've already gone through the book of Colossians at a conference uh, where many of you people were involved, and I've already uh, gone through the book of Ephesians with you folks, I know I did that. I've got it written down on my lessons on the book of Ephesians. I did it at Claremont. So some of the things that we're gonna talk about were discussed during those times, but the lessons that I put together uh, are not strictly from those lessons. And what I'm hoping to do is use as a title for this. You know, I'm not one usually to title things, but I've used this phrase before, and this truly is really kind of the desire of my heart to get across And the the statement is this, is God's will your will? And I want you to keep that before you as we go through the six lessons that we're going to be dealing with. Uh, The first three lessons we're going to find through the the avenue of prayer, what God's will is. Because you see, the prayers in the three books that I mentioned, Philippians, Colossians, and Ephesians, we have three of Paul's, what we call, the prison prayers. But remember, these really weren't Paul's prayers. These were the prayers that the Holy Spirit of God gave to Paul to pray on behalf of the saints while he was in prison. So these prayers are really the prayers of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And this is in his way of saying, this is my will for you as my children, those who belong to me. And we're going to find as we go through these prayers, some of the things that we're praying about, in fact, all of them to some degree are taking place, but I can assure you, uh, they have to increase. They must increase. Because if they don't, we're going to begin to fall by the wayside. So what we're going to be looking at today is in Philippians chapter 1, and it's Paul's prayer starting in verse, in verse 9, and it's only three verses, but it's amazing what we learned about the will of God for His saints in this prayer. And we're going to see the same thing as we look tonight in Colossians. And then when we get together, Lord willing, a month from now, we're going to look at the one the two in Ephesians, and then we're going to focus in the evening on the Lordship of Christ. Oh, that's a real concern with the Lord today, how His children just do not allow Him to be Lord in their lives. And then by the last time we're together, we're going to look on a couple of lessons dealing with service, because you see, we are to be busy doing the Lord's work and His will in our lives. So let's look at Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 9. And here we have the Holy Spirit's prayer through Paul to the church at Philippi. And in verse 9, he writes, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by or through Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. Now, the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Three simple little verses, but boy, are they loaded with what God's desire is for you. And remember what we want to put before you is God's will, my will, and particularly now in these particular areas. So let's just look at these a little bit more carefully. The first thing that we focus on here are four things come to mind in this passage that are really necessary to live the life of one who is alive in Christ. And you can only live this life if you're alive in Christ. You cannot do it apart from Christ, as we're going to see. But the first thing he prays for is that their love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment or discernment. Now, that's one phrase. Let's look at it again, that their love may abound yet more and more in knowledge And in all judgment or discernment. So the key thought here in this prayer is what? Your love. Your love for the Lord as demonstrated by your love for the Lord's people. Now, we're not talking about the love of mere desire or emotions here. We're talking about love that deals with the nature of self-sacrificing service. You know, the world talks all about the other two aspects of love. But you see, the love before us here is self-sacrificing service for the Lord on behalf of one another. Now, love has been called the supreme proof of the reality of the Christian profession. You know, love professed must be expressed. Not only to God, but towards others. Did you get the emphasis there? We all profess to love the Lord, and we profess to love the Lord's people. last night. But see, love is to be expressed, expressed towards God, and expressed towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And of course, we know for a fact that it must be expressed. And we learn again, as always, the greatest example is God through the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 John 4, chapter 9. Now, here in manifested, shown, expressed, the love of God. Well, how did he express his love? He sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. You see, God just didn't tell us he loves us. He expressed it. Love must be expressed towards God and towards one another. He goes on and then, as Paul says, that their love may abound. Well, what does abound mean? Well, it means to increase beyond measure, enough and then to spare. You know, you never can run out of it. It's, this love is to increase and abound in measure to the point where you never run out of it. You know, God's love for us is unboundless unboundless. It it goes on and on. And that's the type of love we're to express towards Him and one another as well. It's interesting in Second Corinthians nine eight, Paul writes, God is able to make to abound much more. Towards you all grace, so that ye always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound much more unto every good work. Did you get the emphasis on the word abound, abound? More, more, much more is to keep on taking place. And yet, and he even uses the phrase yet more and more. And you know, that little phrase recognizes two things here that was taking place at the church at Philippi. Well, if it was yet more and more, that tells us, first of all, that there was some love being exercised on their part towards one another. And I've evidenced that here. There's love being expressed to one another here so the first half of that is evident, the other more, he wants it to abound yet more and more. Well, that implies that there's a deficiency in the amount of love that is being expressed to the Lord and one another. That was true at the church of Philippi, and is true of the church, the body of Christ today. Wherever you go, praise God for the love that is abounding here. But, I hate to say this, I'm not being critical, I'm just reading scripture. There's a deficiency, obviously. Is there room for more love to abound here? I'm sure there is. You see, that's what the Lord's will is for this assembly, for each one in it. Is God's will your will in relationship to this? Then he goes on and points out that two things are necessary for love to increase. The first one is knowledge. Now what is knowledge in Scripture? Well, it's more than just head knowledge. It's spiritual insight based upon experience. And I've already shown you how we experience God's love. It was manifested. All right? So when we talk about knowledge here, it's more than just knowing it here. We have to see it expressed. And that's how we can experience in the lives of others. And, you know, the best example I can probably give of this uh, is uh, in relationship to a husband and wife scenario. You know, do you love your wife? Did I love my wife when I married her? Yes. Well, after 51-plus years, I can assure you, I love her much, much, much more. Why? Because I've experienced her in my life. And as I've experienced her in my life, my love has grown. And I trust that the same is true. In fact, I know it's true the other way. And you see, the same thing is true with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you really love the Lord Jesus Christ as much as you should? Well, how can your love for Christ grow? You have to experience him in your life. You put him to the test in your life. You claim the promises he's made in your life, and you see him working in your life. You experience it, and the more you experience it, the greater your love for the Lord Jesus Christ becomes. Now, I think the songwriter who wrote, how can I help but love him when he loved me so much? You see, the more you understand and appreciate God's love for you and how it's expressed towards you, the greater your love for the Lord will become. But now that gets us down, you see, to the next little stage. Well, what about one another? How can my love for you and your love for me grow? We have to get to know each other. You know, that means I have to get to know you. And, you know, that's the easy part of it, trying to get to know you. The hard part is this. If you're going to love me more, I have to let you get to know me. And that's scary. You see, most of us don't really want people to know us all that well. You know, most people uh, like to have you know them as much as they want you to know them. You know, I put on my best behavior when I'm here. I, I, I really do. I mean, I I probably come across as a really great guy here (laughs) because I'm preaching, you know, and I'm fellowshipping. But what I want you to know me as well as my wife knows me, and more so, what I want you to know me the way the Lord knows me. You see, in order for our love to grow one for another we have to get to know one another. And the greater we know one another, the greater that love will become. Oh yes, we'll find out we all have faults. We're not perfect. Nobody's perfect, only the Lord was perfect. But you see, true love doesn't worry about that. I'm not perfect in my relationship with my wife. She knows that. but she still loves me, and vice versa. And, you know, the Lord loves me in spite of me. Now, I realize when you look at the Lord, there's nothing not to love. And yet he allows things that come into my life that I don't love. He, comes, he allows things to come into my life that discipline me, but why does he do that? Because he loves me. You see, even in those things, the trials, the test of life, you learn how much the Lord loves you. So, you see, he says this love has to abound in knowledge. And then he also uses the word discernment. Well, you know, you can't discern love until you know. You know, discernment now means I know how to respond and react to you because I've gotten to know you. (laughs) You know, if I know you and I know there are things that really, there are certain things that bother you, well, then I'll make sure I go out of my way not to do those things that bother you instead of trying to be a thorn in your flesh. You see... It's what you, the insight you gain from knowledge now enables you to love out of discernment as well. See, I, we can only get to know and love the Lord as we focus our attention on Him and get to know Him and see how He works in our lives. And it's the way it has to be between our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Now, the next thing we have to move on here. Uh, the second thing that Paul points out here it was this desire that their love would increase and be perfected. But he also gives three purposes for increasing our love for God and His children. Why? Why is it necessary that we really get to know and discern one another so that our love may grow? Well, the next thing he says is that they may approve the things that are excellent. And that can maybe be better rendered that differ, that we may be able to prove the things that are excellent or that differ one with another. Now, we are to test and prove in order to approve. That's why we test and prove things, is to discover the better way in order to pursue the better way. Now, there's many scriptures we could use, but the one that comes to mind to me right away is 1 Corinthians 6.12, where it says, All things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. And You know, as you look around a, a, a family of believers, there are degrees of spirituality and growth in spirituality. And the reason is because Some have learned to experience the Lord in their life to a greater extent than others have. And the more you get to know the Lord, you know. What in his eyes is fine. It doesn't affect his relationship with you. But you know, others feel there are certain things that do affect their relationship with the Lord and their brothers and sisters in Christ. We differ on these things. So I learned, you know, as I... Study God's word and wait upon the Lord that, yes, there are certain things that are all right for me to do, but I have brothers and sisters who don't think that I should be doing them. So what should my attitude be? Well, it's time you become more spiritually mature and you'll understand. No, no, that's not what we're interested in here. If this is something that's going to offend my brother or sister in Christ... If I love them, I will not do them. Even though I might have every right to do them before the Lord. You see, you have to approve so you can discern the better thing to do in a given situation. And as you look at love growing out of knowledge and discernment, it will enable us to recognize the more excellent way in our relationship with God and with others. For instance, if you just go over to chapter two of Philippians, there's just two verses up there, three and four, that kind of put this in a nutshell. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. (laughs) How many people do you know that really consider everybody else is better than them? It's almost always the opposite. It really is. But here we're told you're to esteem others better than yourself. That means you put their interest before. It says, and each of you look not only on his own interest, but on the interest of others. See, this is the practical. It's kind of the -the rubber-hitting-the-road aspect of love in relationship to God and to one Another. A third thing, that they might be sincere and without offense, being filled with the fruit of righteousness. Boy, there's a mouthful in that little phrase. We're to be sincere, we're to be without offense, and we're to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. And, you know, as I thought of those three phrases, Galatians 5, and 23 comes to mind immediately because, you see, it deals with the care and, the, uh, and conduct in three different directions. It's towards God. It's towards mankind, mainly my brother and sister in Christ, and also in relationship to myself. So the first one he says... We are to be sincere. That's his prayer. Was well, sincere towards who? Towards God. How sincere are you really towards God? Well, let's go back and look at the first three fruit of Galatians five twenty-two. Now, I, know, I understand all nine fruit are one fruit, so don't let's not get off on that. But there are nine things that are mentioned specific things that are mentioned that make up the fruit of the Spirit. They're all supposed to be in our lives because that's what they are in the Spirit. But the first three are love, joy, and peace. Well, I'm to be sincere, you see, towards God, and it's reflected in these three areas. You see, the love of Christ... And my love for Christ should compel me to be like him in his love. God is love. Who indwells you as a believer? God does. You see, I can talk about how much I love God, but talk doesn't do it. If I'm going to be sincere in my love to God, it's going to be reflected in my life towards Him. And the only way that it will be accepted by Him as for Him and and through Him is if it's expressed to others. And then you look at the other things, joy and peace. You know, I truly appreciate the joy of the Lord in my life. Well, I'll have to confess, it doesn't always seem evident but I really do appreciate the joy of the Lord. And, you know, sometimes as I'm speaking about the joy of the Lord, and people, just like some have nodded, now don't get me wrong, I'm not picking anybody here, it's amazing how when you're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and people are involved, how serious and sober and frowny they look. And, you know, that's one thing. I I understand that you can be in that mode at times. But, you know, do people around you truly understand that you have joy in the Lord? Do they? Do your brothers and sisters really see the joy of the Lord in your life? And what about this peace that we're always talking about? I'm so thankful for the peace I have with God and the peace of God and the peace that God gives me. But you know, do I really exemplify that? You know, I rejoice in the fact that I have peace with God in my standing before God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm at total peace about that. I'm looking forward to being with the Lord. That's what we can talk about. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the trumpet sound right now? Then I would be with the Lord. Well, that joy should be evident in your life. The Lord is the joy of your life, in spite of what's taking place. And then this peace of God. You know, it's amazing, all of us, people say to me, well, Bob, you don't look any different. Well, that's too bad. (laughs) That's the way I look. But the point is, I do, I know I'm different. Every year I come here, I'm a little different. I may not look it, but there's things going on in my life. I get up in the morning after hiking in the mountains, and I know things are different than they used to be. And, you know, we all have trials and tests in life. And I can say, well, I have peace. I have the peace of God in my trials. But then why am I complaining about it all the time, grumbling about it? You see, people around you, do they see the peace of God in your life? You see, it's important we understand that we have to be sincere towards God. That's his will. But then it goes on and talks about the fact that they may be without offense. We are to be without offense. Well, towards who? Well, this obviously deals with our conduct towards others. Men and women our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, Acts 24, verse 16 really spoke to me. It's a marvelous verse. I'm going to read it to you, but I'll tell you the two words that popped out as I was really reading and studying this. It reads this way Paul speaking, and this I do, I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense towards God and man. I exercise myself to always have a conscience, void of offense, towards God and man. Now, what two words stood out there? I do. This one thing, I do. This this isn't one thing I try to do, I hope to do, I would like to do. He says, this one thing I do, I exercise myself always to have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards mankind, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Can you honestly say that? This is God's will. It's the prayer that his prayer on our behalf. 1 Corinthians 8:9. Take heed, lest it, it, by any means you become a stumbling block to others. Somebody once said, "We are to be We are not to be stumbling stocks, but stepping stones." Maybe you've heard that before. Are you a stumbling block to someone by the way you live, your attitude, whatever? Or are you a stepping stone? You know we have stones around our house. Uh, we just got through climbing in the mountains. I can tell you what a stumbling block is: It's one of those, those darn stones that are sticking up just about this far on the path, and you don't see it. And guess what happens? Your toe hits it, and it's not comfortable. It hurts for one thing, and if you're lucky, you don't fall. And yet you come to other places where you have stones and you can literally say, boy, these are neat. I can just kind of step right up. It helps me climb up this mountain. Well, you see, we are not to be stumbling blocks to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to be stepping stones where they see in our lives areas of growth that encourage them to move forward in areas of growth. Yes, you see... We have to understand the second thing that he's emphasizing here, that we are not to be an offense to God or our brothers and sisters in Christ. And of course, you know, we go back again to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And of course, there it says there the fruit here now is long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. How are you in those categories? (laughs) Long-suffering? Gentle? Good? Is that how you are to one another? That's how the Lord would have us be. Somebody has said one can't hope to be without offense who is not sincere in his relationship towards God, and one cannot be right towards God and remain wrong towards his brother and sister in Christ. Well, we have to move on. The next thing he says, being filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now, fullness of character related to self is involved here. The fruit of righteousness. You know, righteousness refers to our character. Now, it's not to what we do, but to what we are. It's not to Christian activity, but it's to Christ-likeness. It is not to our relationship to man, but our condition of soul before God. And again, you go to the three fruit of the Spirit, the last three, faith, meekness, self-control. And as I look at this faith, what does it mean, faith? Well, you know, it's simply being sure and certain that God, and his word we can rely upon we can trust we can depend upon without reservation is that really true in your life do you really have that kind of faith where you can trust and rely and depend upon God no matter what comes into your life is there room for growth there Well, there is isn't mine. This is God's will. He wants us to trust him, depend upon him, rely upon him completely in every aspect of life. Meekness. Well, meekness has been described many ways, but I think it's primarily in the context here enduring injury with patience and without resentment, even when you have the right or the power to retaliate. You know, the truth of the matter is, we don't always treat each other very well. And how do you respond when a brother or sister in Christ offends you, hurts you, says something about you that isn't true? How do you respond? This is a tough one. You know, the normal reaction is to retaliate. I've had people say some pretty nasty things about me over the years, even in my ministry. What am I supposed to do about that? Well, my suggestion is I'm going to let the Lord deal with it. Just let the Lord deal with those things. You see, that's the aspect of meekness. I'm going to let the Lord take care of not easy to do but it's what the Lord would have us do and the final one here is self-control discipline and of course primarily to me self-control and discipline is nothing more than surrendering, surrendering my will to the will of God and we find when we don't do that we find ourselves in a lot of trouble and we're not very good testimonies for the Lord Jesus Christ You see, I couldn't help but think of Daniel in chapter 1, verse 8. What did Daniel do? He purposed in his heart, purposed, determined, self-disciplined that he would not defile himself. No one can make you defile yourself. No one. But you must purpose in your heart not to do it yourself. And that's where we get in trouble we don't do that you see in Paul's prayer he reminds them how that this is really all possible and we'll have to <coughs> uh, just summarize this quite quickly here but he expresses three things in verse starting in verse 10 you see all these things we've been talking about are possible do you honestly believe that <laughs> I know if you're looking at yourself you're saying well I'm sorry Bob I'm a total failure and if I'm looking at myself, I'd have to say the same thing. But these things are possible. And why is that? Well, he gives us three reasons why. The first expression is in verse 10, until the day of Christ. This is the motive. You live in view of Christ's return. If I was just talking with Bob a little while ago about how we're looking forward and we feel the Lord's return is coming close, you know, we do a we do a lot of talking about that. But do we live like that? If I live today, honestly believing it could be today, how different my life would be today. You see, living in view of Christ's return enables us to do the things that this prayer is bringing before us. The second thing is by or through in verse 11, by or through Jesus Christ. You see here's the divine secret and blessed truth. It is only possible through the power of Jesus Christ within us. Many verses come to mind but the one that really speaks to me the most of any is one John 15:5. But Jesus says, "I am the vine ye are the branches. If ye abide in me, and my word abides in you, you will bear fruit." What's the secret? He's the secret. We have to rely and depend upon Him to give us the power and the grace to fulfill His will as revealed in this prayer. And the final thing in verse 11, the last part is, everything we do should be under the praise and the glory of God. Is that what you, how you do everything? Is that what's up most and foremost in your mind? That what I'm going to say or what I'm going to do or how I'm going to react is under the glory and praise of God. Just think about that for a moment. This is the ultimate object of the type of life that we're talking about here in this prayer. You know, just as an example, if I'm up here to impress you today, this is of no avail and of no value for me. Or am I up here so you will praise me? had the thought. How about it just to please myself? Hey, Bob, you're doing good. You're preaching the word today. Good for you. You know, this, the Lord can't bless us that way. The only way the Lord can bless us is if, in my case, what I'm doing right now is solely for His honor and glory. But that should be true in every aspect of what we do. You see, if we understand uh, the fact that we have His divine nature in us, the power is there. It's been imparted to us. If we understand the Lord is coming back soon and I should live in view of that. And therefore, whatever I do, I want to do for his honor and glory. If all of us would be like this, oh, how different this place would be. I think this is a great place. Don't get me wrong. I love coming here. But it couldn't get better. And I think you're all aware of that. And I look at my own life. I hope these things are true in my life. And they may be to a degree, but I can assure you they need to get better. As you go home this afternoon, just read these three verses over again. This is the Holy Spirit's prayer on behalf of every one of his dear children. This is God's will for your life. Is it your will? Say, is God's will my will? I trust it will be so, as in this prayer. Tonight, we're going to look at the prayer in Colossians, which brings out other things that are going to be just as convicting, but that's okay. That's okay. The Lord is trying to teach us things. I and mean, we can learn that through His Word. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we truly do want to thank you and praise you again for your beloved Son, our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for your Word. We're so thankful for this prayer that you have shared with us through the Holy Spirit by way of Paul on behalf of the saints in Philippi. But we know that it is a prayer of yourself on our behalf as we gather here today. Each and every one of us take it to heart, examine our own hearts and lives, and may this prayer become our prayer on behalf of ourselves and on behalf of everyone who fellowships in this meeting. this help us to apply these things in our lives. We ask your blessing upon us now throughout this afternoon, and bring us out this evening, if it be your will. We ask these things and give you the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen.